0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a lot of interesting news to cover, including some application news from Inkscape and a command line search tool called FD. We've also got some distro news from Ubuntu, PopOS, and Umix OS, and we'll cover a really cool tip that was shared on the r Linux subreddit this week related to Bluetooth and Pulse Audio. We've also got some really interesting news from the KDE world because there's a new project that's a fork of KWIN. Oh yeah, I forgot to mention, almost anyway, that this episode is episode 100 of This Week in Linux. So there's a special bonus that I'm recording this live on YouTube right now. So we've got all that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to our world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Digital also has 2,000 cloud agnostic, actually over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials that help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. And these tutorials are not actually even cloud agnostic. They're agnostic to whatever. You can use them on your desktop. I've found many tutorials that are very helpful for just using, like, editing things on my desktop. I've actually searched for things that the DigitalOcean tutorials just pop up and go, oh, that works too. Great. Uh, so you could be working on your cloud droplet or your desktop Many options there. And actually, sometimes I really what I really love about the tutorials is that it's something that most tutorials don't do that really annoys me but the DigitalOcean tutorials do is that when you have an updated version of the tutorial they go back and have a link to the new version so if you find the se if like the search engine sends you one to the older version it was like okay hey there's an update click this for the newest version and that is fantastic and all tutorials should do that most of them don't digital Ocean does do it that's awesome Anyway, you can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean for that $100 credit for two months for free by going to do.co dln. And anyway, we thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. A first in the show this week is Inkscape 0.92.5 has been released. And also, they are now doing a call for testing of the Release candidate for 1.0. That's right. 1.0 after 16 years of Inkscape. I mean, that's kind of funny in the sense that it... I mean, it's not that it took them that long to get to 1.0. It's just that the number versioning seemed to be arbitrary. You know, cause we've talked about version numbering in Linux for a long time because there's different ways that people do it. And 1.0 usually means that it's you know good to go for production. And Inkscape has been fantastic for years, so I'm not really sure why it... They just they waited 16 years to get to 1.0, but they are now almost there, which is awesome. So the Inkscape team actually has released two updates, one with fixing the current version, which is the 0.92.5, and the other one is the release candidate for 1.0, which will be coming out in a couple months or so. We'll cover that much more in depth in the future when they actually release the 1.0. But for now, they want people to do testing. If you would like to try out the the 1.0 and give them feedback and some uh, bug reports and things like that, be sure to do that because it is a fantastic project and a fantastic application. But we're going to start with what's new in the 0.92.5 release, and that is... They've had a lot of stability and bug fixes in this one, and it also has some new features. So the new features are, as extensions are now compatible with Python 3 as well as Python 2, the option to export to save as has been uh, updated to remove the Cairo chi- chi- PNG, that part has been removed, as it was frequently confused with the export PNG image option. The snap package for uh, the for the Inkscape now supports GTK two themes from the common distros via the GTK two common themes uh, content interface for snaps, which is really cool. So if you install Inkscape with that, you will have support for the theming in snaps, which is one of the biggest complaints that snaps has is that it didn't ha- and some applications don't support the theming, and now the newest version will, uh, along with a lot of other bug fixes and crash fixes and things like that. So This is really cool. I'm a big fan of Inkscape. There's a lot of great things that it can do. If you're not familiar with it, it's a vector graphics application that has, it's basically kind of like Illustrator, but it's an open source application. And I'm a big fan of it overall because there's a lot of cool stuff that I even recently found out it could do where it allows you to do smoothing of path nodes, which is not necessarily informative to most people, but I found it really awesome because I didn't know it could do that until about a week ago. So anyway, Inkscape 1.0 has also some other updates that this is like a really big, really big update. And they've, at, they've actually had some questions about like, why did it take so long and that kind of thing? So they did like an interview. Uh, the register did an interview with uh, Mark uh, John Mugen. I, I, I'm sorry for butchering that it's guaranteed I was going to. They said, why is it taking so long to get to 1.0? And he says, the main reason is because we have migrated from GTK2 to GTK3, which is quite different so it's in the works for a lot of years and it was really a long process because it just it was just volunteer work which is because it's an open source application so it was mostly people doing it in their spare time uh in this particular case not always op- open source does that but in this particular case that's how it was and they also have an interesting question where they said is the open source business model or lack of it holding back inkscape and he says we would advance much faster with even one or two full-time developers that has been some frustration because we only rely on donations. We get as much less than what we what we would need to hire people, which is something. If you would like to donate to the Inkscape project, that'd be very beneficial to them. Hopefully, they could get like some kind of sponsorship deal going to make sure that they can have like some full time developers because Inkscape is really awesome. But also, it has been 16 years before the 1.0 comes out. I mean, that's just a versioning weird versioning issue. But still, it it is kind of an interesting situation to be in anyway some other changes in 1.0 also are included are some new options that are aimed at web developers which is really interesting i think this is probably the most interesting piece of 1.0 and that is that there's a new export format for html5 canvas which saves an image as code to render it on html5 canvas rather than just an svg so that is really really cool so it allows you to do much more advanced stuff using inkscape through web design which i think is pretty awesome If you'd like to learn more about this latest release of Inkscape, as well as the 1.0 release of this application, we'll have a link in the show notes below for more information. Up next in the show is a new project from the KDE world. And this is an interesting project that's a little bit controversial because there this is a fork of the window manager and compositor of KDE's that's called Kwin or Quinn, whatever. Technically, I'm going to so it's not clear Clear with a K, by the way, what KDE wants it pronounced as, because if you go to their project wiki, it says, uh, it says pronounced as one word, which is Kwin and Quinn are both one word. So, like, that's not very specific. So, be more specific next time. And now, moving on to the actual project. So, Kwin FT or Quinn FT, I'm not sure what he wants either way, but I'm going to go with Kwin because I just think that flows better. So Roman Gilg is a longtime KD developer and he has announced the first public release of a drop-in replacement for Kwin which is the Kwin FT. He's also forked the Kwin the K Wayland library. See you call it K Wayland. I mean, it's not anyway. So this library has been forked called Rapland. And so Kwin or Kwin FT and Rapland are but they've been developing for a few like a few months since the beginning of the year and he says the reason he's doing it is to accelerate the development significantly in comparison to classic Kwin so there's been a lot of improvements to this one because they said he says that there's less display latency on this version uh, this fork, and also that he's improved the full support for uh, output rotation for displays as well as mirroring. So, if, for example, you want to have a vertical monitor, you can use this to make it work. Versus, I think the also that's specifically for the Wayland version, it already works on X11 if you want to use it. But if you want to use Wayland, uh, supposedly the X the Kwin uh, version doesn't work that well, so the Kwin FT solves that. And by the way, I would want it to be called Kwin. Like the, I want the Kwin FT project to be called FT Kwin. So I could say for the Quinn or for the Kwin, uh, I just want it to be that way. Uh, it's not, but it should be. Just think about it. I technically did tell him about that, and he says that he uh, doesn't. He he likes the idea, but has already picked the name, so it is what it is. But maybe, maybe after watching, the reason why it's good for the Kwin, uh, who knows? Probably not. But I just want to put that out there. So. The, the interesting thing about this project is, there's a, it's pretty controversial, and it's controversial in the sense that why are you making another a fork of something so fundamental and so important? And the reason is interesting that he gives because it's basically like he's limited in what he can do with Kwin, and he says that in an organization like KDE, without formalized subdivision of responsibilities and by that risk management and containment, it is difficult to to do big changes. He's saying to argue for such changes, if they they fail to quickly phase them out in a constructive way without hurting the overall organization. So the primary motivation for this is the ability to innovate and not having to worry about uh, risk of the actual project itself. Because KWIN, and a lot of the reason why people don't like that it's being forked here is because it is a fundamental piece and why not just work on that piece? But if you're going to be doing a lot of stuff like restructuring to the point where it is very different, it might create breakpoints. And if he were to do that into KWIN itself, that might create some big problems for like even people who are using it at an enterprise level where they don't want to worry about, you know, the dependency and the stability of it and that kind of thing because kwin has been has a long time uh, history of being backwards compatible and being supporting of your configs even when they update new versions so like when you go from 517 to 518 usually your configurations don't change and you don't have to worry about like big things that you already have set up so like that is a one of the big values of using KDE Plasma. so if they were to do something like this and to really change the and restructure how it works you could create some big problems for people who don't want to deal with them. And it makes sense why he'd be forking it because of that. And I actually agree that this is a better approach because if you're going to make big changes to KWIN, it's probably that you, better that you do it on a separate project versus doing it on the main one. That could create issues. So I think this is a, better, this is a good way of doing it. I mean, I don't know necessarily if it's necessary uh, that's a weird sentence to say, but I don't know if it's actually needed or not. But I think that there is some potential to, if he can make Kaywin even better, that I'm all for it uh, because Kaywin is already awesome, but it could be even better and that is something to look forward to. Also something interesting about this particular project is, is that Kwin FT and Raplin will be focused? He says that it'll be focused on a modern, optimized development process, focusing on great Wayland support, and for the Raplin support library to be written in modern C plus without the relying on Qt. So the Qt toolkit is a topic we talked about last episode because they were having some, you know, potential issues with open source in terms of like doing a weird delay. Uh, there's there might be an update on that soon. Uh, but probably next episode or something like that. But um, it's really interesting that they're doing it because this is not based on that news from the Cute Project or the Cute Company. This is just something they wanted to do anyway, so they didn't have a reliance on Cute, but rather had you know support for Cute, but also the potential to support more things rather than just Cute. And I also think that the dependency removal of Cute is pretty interesting. And he says that the Cute removal is only a goal for Raplin right now. I actually went to his blog post and asked him some questions. And uh, luckily I remembered to put them into the show notes after I started streaming, by the way, if you're not aware, this is a live stream episode. So there you go. That might be, that's why I'm not editing that much in this case and why this seems really awkward, but Hey, let's continue. So he says that the, Q, the KWIN FT compositor will stay a Qt-based compositor for the foreseeable future. But the, way, but the plan for Raplin is to not need any toolkit anymore in the future. And when Raplin stabilizes, I would like to write a minimal C++ only compositor making use of it. I thought of a port of GameScope since it's written in C and C++ only, but, and it, because it has a small footprint, but we'll have to see. Uh, I also asked him about if there would be support for KWIN scripts. So and he says that it should they should definitely still work right now with with the K1 FT because it's he doesn't has he's not changing that much, uh, but he does but K1 scripts is not his specialty so he doesn't know for sure, uh, but he's hope hopefully someone will join join the project to help maintain that part, uh, but he also there's also a really interesting question that was put into the comments section on the blog post that I didn't think about at the time but I'm glad someone else did and asked that question and they were asking why are you not using Mirror as a potential or the compositing and the reason the question was asked is because he's focusing on C++ and mirror is written in C++ and that is a you know there's a high potential that that might be beneficial for this and he says that I wasn't aware that mirror uses modern C++ I will definitely look into it now uh, the issue with switching an existing code base like K- k1ft to a completely different framework like mirror is that you basically have to do everything at once and can't employ a progressive approach to do it with Rapplin, I can run K1FT still while step-by-step redesigning it. That way, I have a feedback loop on how the redesign is going. Also, while I know the innards of Rapplin, I don't know anything about Mir as a Wayland compositor. So this is a really interesting question, and I hope to see what more can come from this. Because if there's even like a little bit of support, he says that he's—he uh, says it doesn't want to—I t- do want to take a look at this for sure now. But to really work on it, I would need to invest much more time. So maybe potentially in the future there could be some support with Mir uh, in addition with the WL roots support that they're planning as well. Uh, this is just really interesting overall, and I think that there's a lot of potential for this project to be beneficial to the KDE uh, overall community. So hopefully there's you know this creates a better KWin because you know that would only be a good thing in my opinion. So if you'd like to learn more about this project and read the blog post about the announcement, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some virtual event news, and that is 2020's KDE Academy and Gnome's Guayadec conference will be turned into virtual conferences. So this is pretty interesting because uh, it's because basically the, the way that Gnome describes it, they say that after a lot of careful consideration and consultation with a local organizing team, the Gnome Foundation has decided that Guayadec 2020 will take place entirely online due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The event will, re- will feature the expected high quality content streamed over the internet for anyone to participate in. Mexico was planned to be hosting for 20, uh, 2020 but will now be hosting for 2021. Uh, they also said that they have, they have plans to move their 2021 to 2022 as well. So they say although we're, o- we're over three months away, there is no way we could ensure that the event would could continue in a way that would keep the community completely safe. So. They're deciding to turn it virtual. And for the same reason that KDE is doing Academy. Now, this is both interesting and I know this sounds this is the reason why they're doing it is good because they're doing it to make make people make sure people are safe. So I, I'm glad that they actually made that decision. And they did it very early, so that's good for them too. But there's also somewhat of a benefit in it becoming virtual because KDE Academy and GNOME's Guaya deck have always been very, very far away from people in the US. Uh it, well actually this one is in Mexico, so it's not very far away from some people in the US, but other people on the like the East Coast would be a very big trip. And also sometimes they're in like uh Belgium and even in the next uh, 2022 we'll have it in Latvia. So there's no way that um, you know North American people could get to that very easily. So it's really interesting because I've been wanting to go to one of these conferences for many many years but they've always been so far away that there is no way for me to actually go and now that they're doing virtual it makes it a lot it likes it makes it possible for a lot more people to attend it so i think there's a lot of benefit in that sense that a lot more people have the opportunity to attend the, the conference and i'm very curious to see how they're going to handle the virtual aspects of the conference because i think both of them have uh, a lot of you know experience doing conferences and I'm definitely interested to see what happens with the way they handle the speakers and where they handle the workshops and all that stuff. So anyway, if you were wanting to go to those those uh, conferences but weren't able to based on the location, now you can definitely do that. So be sure to put it on your calendar and I'll have a link in the show notes below for more information about both of these. Up next in the show is the 8.0.0 release of the program called FD. This is an alternative to the find command And it's actually pretty interesting because I've used it before in the past, but I sometimes forget to install it on my system. And now I will put it on my list to always install because it is that useful. Mostly because the find command syntax is ridiculous. So for example, if you were going to use the find command and you wanted to search for a specific file name or something in a file name, you would have to do find space tack iname space uh, quotes open quotes, then you do an asterisk symbol, then the pattern of the file name is you want to search for, then another asterisk symbol, and then another quotes to end it. And the reason for the asterisk is so that it searched for anything before and after so that it would, if you do just for the file name, the pattern, it would only look for files with the exact file name versus something having in the beginning of that and also the end. So you had to put all of that in there or you use the FD command that will just allow you to do fd space and the file names you want to search for. Simple, right? Way more convenient. That's one of the reasons why find or fd is better than find, just by that alone. But also, there's other values and benefits. And this is in their list of general features include colorized terminal output, which is very nice. They also say that their benchmarks show that it is much, much faster. In some cases, up to nine times faster. They also have smart casing, which is a search that, by default, it will use case-insensitive searching. But if you you actually will, if you use a particular uppercase character in the pattern, it will automatically switch to case-sensitive searching, which is fantastic. Because by default, the the file system for Linux is case-sensitive. But this is a lot much better so that you can have an automatic case-insensitive searching. So that just, you know, just in case if you have if you forgot what your capitalization structure was you don't have to worry about it in this case in using the fd command uh it also ignores hidden directories and files by default it also h- ignores any patterns that you put in your gitignore file or .gitignore file and it also uses regular expressions so if you want to use more than just file ser- file name search or whatever you can also use regular expressions and i really like this this next one is really interesting i like the fact that just as a joke, apparently, it says that n- another feature for this application is that it is fifty percent shorter than using Find because it's just FD. So I like that. It is does actually save a little bit of time. very few milliseconds, but hey, I like it. Uh, that's also the latest version of eight point zero point zero has new features, including a new uh, tac L option to show more details about the search results. This is essentially an alias for another command, like a bigger bigger command for ls, and it allows you to see the metadata like permissions, owners, file size, modification times, symlink targets, and more, uh, and and achieve a deterministic output order as well if you want to. There's a lot of other options that it comes with, like for example, it gives you another alias for showing max results, it gives you an alias for the type of socket, and also, it gives you a lot more features overall, including some additional support for ANSI font styles, like uh, the LS colors allows you to show uh, faint colors, slow blink, rapid blink, dimmed colors, and many more. So, this is pretty interesting. And there's actually been a lot of, um, you know, I've tested this program for a little bit, uh, for, you know, in the past, but since I forget, you know, that it exists, I sometimes don't install it, like I said. And I like this program a lot because one, I think, you know, there's been a debate about like which one's better find or locate, and there's different values for both of those. But FD kind of solves the problems that find has in the sense that it's find is slower, find syntax is kind of ridiculous, whereas FD is faster and has a reasonable syntax. So that's pretty awesome. If you'd like to learn more about FD, I'll have a link to their GitHub page in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section, and the first thing I want to talk about is this week in Linux is currently live. Now, this means that I'm doing the show live on YouTube in a stream, and people can watch me and interact with me during the in-between topics, and also make fun of the fact that I can't say the word in-between sometimes, uh, but anyway for those who are familiar or fairly new to the show, I guess, is that This Week in Linux used to be streamed live every week. And then I would edit it down for the releases afterwards. Well, I haven't been able to do that for about six months now due to a wide variety of factors. A quick rundown for the reasons is that I'm a host of three podcasts. I am in the editor for two of those three podcasts. I run the Destination Linux Network in conjunction with Ryan Geek and also a lot of other people who help out. And I've been doing design and marketing work that's not related to DLN, and a lot more than that that I can't really think of at the moment. None of those, the, none of the above, has changed at all. I'm still doing all of that stuff, but some of the members of the community are helping me make this show possible. So I wanted to thank Mark Gilligan and Alex Brown for helping me do this show. Uh, in you know, as as helping me do like show notes and prep stuff and that, that kind of things. So it's very very helpful, and I just wanted to acknowledge them for helping me doing this show because this is making basically making it possible for me to do the show live again. And I am so excited about that because episode 100 being the first time back for a live show is fantastic timing. It wasn't planned at all. I was like, Oh wait, it's a hundred episodes now. I should probably do it live. And then, you know, so I decided to do it and thanks to Mark and Alex for helping me make it possible. So yes, in the future, we will be doing the show live. If not every week, most weeks, but I'm gonna to try to do it every week. So yeah, this week in Linux live streaming and in the future, probably be on Saturdays instead of today when I'm doing it on Monday. More than likely gonna be on Saturdays. That's the, that's the goal. So uh, episode 101 will be attempted to be streamed live on April 25th, but at the moment, can't guarantee it. But yes, let's try that. Up next in the housekeeping section is the Destination Linux podcast. But this is the one of the other podcasts that i do for the destination linux network and i want to talk to you about a couple of the episodes that one is not out yet but it'll coming out in a couple of days uh, But i want to talk to that, about that as well but first episode 168 was a really interesting episode because we talked about the behind the scenes of destination linux and this week in linux now you could also check out the live streams because we're doing it doing the shows now live again and that gives you a little bit of the behind the scenes, but not everything. So we talk about more about like the the tools that I use, the software that I use, the uh, hardware that I use to do the streams and stuff like that. So if you want to check out more about that, check out episode 168 for the behind the scenes information about all the shows that we do and everything. And we also talked about uh, the Earn It Act, which is disgusting, and it was uh, it's a it's a basically it's a a, a legis- piece of legislation designed to destroy encryption which is nonsense. We talk about more of that in more detail in the episode, so be sure to check out episode 168 for more of that. And we were th- thankfully, we were joined by a great co-host uh, with Eric Adams from DLN Extend Podcast, so be sure to check it out. And episode 169, we also had a great uh, co-host join us from the Ubuntu Budgie project, and that was Dustin. He joined us to talk about what open source is and why it is important to us and uh, we wanted to kind of like give more of a in-depth discussion on the concept of open source and the philosophy behind it behind it so maybe you if you're not aware of it or maybe you want to know more about like why it's important to us check out that episode 169 and the next episode that's coming out in a couple days will be episode 170 and we talk about how far linux has come in the terms of like where how many products are using linux how many uh, services are dependent on Linux, and just the proliferation of Linux as a whole because it is abundant. And a lot of people not might not know about all these different products that use Linux as the like the fundamental piece of how they work. And I think it's really cool to know just how far it actually has come because it is. It is basically the most used, not not basically, 100% is the most used operating system on the planet because of all these different products and because of all the different services and everything in that context. So uh, we were joined by Emma Marshall from System76 on the episode as well. So that was really, really fun to have her on. So be sure to check out episode 170 of Destination Linux. Tux Digital and this show, This Week in Linux, is on library now. So if you'd like to check out the show on Library, you can do that. If you are not ever heard of it, Library is a basically a competitor to YouTube. It's an alternative that uses blockchain technology to power the platform. And that's a pretty cool idea with the blockchain aspects because it allows it to be, uh, has an, an element that is centralized and decentralized. So I like that as a concept. So if you'd like to tr- learn more about this, we'll have a link to, you can just go to uh, tuxdigital.com library, but it's pronounced LBR, it's pronounced library, but it's spelled LBRY. So if you want to watch the show on that, if you, if you don't want to use YouTube or for whatever reason, uh, I, I understand the reason it's Google. But if you want to use library, you can do that now by going to TuxDigital.com slash LBRY. If you're a fan of this show and would like to help make this show possible, then you can please consider becoming a patron. You can be a patron of Tux Digital by becoming one on Patreon or sponsors or even PayPal however, specifically sponsors and Patreon for the rewards. But anyway, by becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all the other content on the channel. So please, if you have, if you are interested in helping out, please consider doing so. You also get special rewards by like joining me in the monthly patrons chat live stream, which if you, in order to be that, you just had to be a patron of Tux Digital. You can actually be a patron of anybody on Destination Linux Network to be a part of that. But if you'd like to do so, I think the Tux Digital channel is a really good one to be a patron of. Uh, for that reason and also other reasons such as being able to help me make decisions on what the next videos will be coming out with so i have like uh, every once in a while i'll do polls about like you know people can vote on which video they want to see first and based on the amount of votes and you know whichever video gets the most votes i do that video the next time which means we already did that and there's a, a video that's coming out this week specifically for that so if you'd like to be participating in those polls you can become a patron on patreon or sponsors to to participate in those. And I'd also like to to the awesome 82 patrons of Tux Digital. I want to say thank you very much for helping me create this content. It is fantastic. It's amazing that people are really wanting to help me make it. Uh, It's actually like so amazing. I can't really describe it in words because it shows that people have so much confidence in me to make the content that they're willing to help me get more time to make it. And it's just awesome. So thank you very much to all of the 82 patrons of Tux Digital. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't really thank you enough, but I'm still gonna try every week. Up next in the show is a really cool piece of information that I didn't know about in terms of like Pulse Audio and Linux, the possibilities you could do with Pulse Audio. And it was shared by user Tasksium. I probably got that wrong, but uh, on the, the Linux subreddit r slash Linux, he says that the, the title of the post is Pulse Audio can turn your computer into Bluetooth speakers for your phone. So this is really, really cool. It makes it possible to just connect your devices and be able to use the audio from your phone to your computer, which is pretty cool. He says in the instructions, instructions in the instructions, if you add the Pulse Audio Bluetooth package, then open Etsy slash Pulse slash System dot PA and add the following lines. I'm not going to say them out loud because it's long, but the lines will be listed in the show notes. And also on the subreddit post that I'll have that in the show notes as well. He says that all you have to do is pair your phone to your computer. And then when you play audio from your phone, it will automatically play on your computer as long as they're connected via Bluetooth. It also seems to route call audio through your computer too if you want to do that. So that's pretty cool. And producer Mark helped test this out because I don't have Bluetooth on my machine. Uh, so I couldn't actually test it myself. But he tested it on a, on Debian and Ubuntu and says that the uh, Debian based it worked we're out of the box for him. I don't think he actually worked on it. Don't, I don't think he tested on it. Sorry about that. He said on the Debian version, it had perfect audio, and it worked from his uh, using his Bluetooth headphones. He was able to send audio from his phone to the computer to his headphones, and it worked great. So this is pretty cool. And he also says that you do need to make sure that you restart Pulse Audio uh, whether you log out or log back in or reboot your system, somehow you need to reset up. Like, Because once Pulse Audio is set and all the settings are added, you need to restart it in order to get it to work. Uh, there is a way to do it without having to log out or log in. And that's Pulse Audio space uh, TAC K or dash K and that's essentially killing pulse audio. But one of the cool things about pulse audio is that it will automatically restart itself once you killed it. So you can just run that in, in the terminal and it will re reactivate and add the new settings that you added in the system.pa file. Also in the live chat, Zamunda had something really interesting that I didn't know about that I also found out <laughs> the recent this, this week, uh, is that Manjaro has support for this out of the box. So he says in the live chat, he's like, oh, hmm, that's always been working out of the box for me on Manjaro KDE. I was pretty surprised when my laptop suddenly started beginning playing music. So this is really cool uh, because after he said that, I was like, oh, wait, does that mean it's already included in the Manjaro settings like as a package? So I tested it myself since I'm on Manjaro for the, you know, the past couple weeks or so. And as it turns out, yes, it is. So that is pretty cool that if you are already using Manjaro, you just need to hook up, you just need to connect your phone and your computer via Bluetooth and it will work. So if you are a Manjaro user, that's how you do it, just connect it. If, if you're using something else, you can just add these packages that are listed in the instructions in the show notes and you can get started with listening to audio from your phone, like it's you know whatever your music player that you have on your phone or videos that are on your phone or whatever else you wanna connect and play over your computer. You can do that with Pulse Audio and i found that out just this week and i think that is awesome because there's so many things great about linux that you just find new things all the time even if you use it for 20 years like myself so i think that's fantastic and if you'd like to try this out i'll have a link to the instructions in the show notes below up next in the show is some interesting news from ubuntu and that is that they are doing a rolling release kernel for amazon cloud not anything beyond that but I think maybe it'd be cool if they see that this is something that people want. Maybe they'd wanna push it to more platforms, maybe even the desktop, who knows. That'd be really awesome, just saying, that's why I'm putting it in the show, to let, know that, let Canonical and Ubuntu know that that would be really awesome, that a lot of people would want that, and just, you know, there you go. Canonical is transitioning Ubuntu support in the Amazon AWS environment to have a rolling release model for its kernel, and also some other packages will, be under the you know remain under the traditional stable release update but you know it's a start right uh it says this this actually starts with the linux a dash 4.15 based kernel which is a default kernel for 1804 of ubuntu lts which will be moving to a rolling kernel model this new rolling kernel model is being offered in the name of providing the latest upstream bug fixes and performance improvements around task scheduling io scheduling networking, hypervisor, guests, and containers to their users. It, uh, just being offered. It's currently just being offered right now for Ubuntu on Amazon web services with no word on whether they plan to eventually offer it for other cloud environments by default or other platforms by default. But maybe just to put it out there, you might want to consider it in the long term because I think there'd be a lot of really cool value in doing that. So if you are using AWS, and using Ubuntu you might want to check this out because it will allow you to get a rolling release up you know to do to get to newer kernels faster and i think that is pretty awesome so if you actually today you can get to the 5.3 kernel using this with the aw the linux-aws-edge kernel if you want to do that uh, but i think it's pretty cool think about it canonical and if you'd like to learn more i'll have a link in the show notes below Up next in the show is the 2004 beta release for Pop!OS. If you're not familiar, Pop!OS is an Ubuntu-based Linux distribution from the folks at System76. And they have a customized, modernized GNOME desktop because the default GNOME desktop is, eh, has a little bit to be desired. And this this is actually a really nice because they, they they minimize the amount of clutter that is in the GNOME shell, and they also add a lot of polish to it. I think the Pop OS is probably the nicest looking GNOME distribution, and if you've never tried it out, you should you might want to try this one out because there's a lot of cool stuff in this one as well as just the overall polish being good. And Pop OS is also currently one of the most popular recommendations for gamers in terms of like new like uh, starter distros and that kind of thing because they have the latest driver as a part of the download, so if you have an AMD, uh, new AMD hardware, you can download the AMD ISO from PopOS, and it will have the drivers for your, your hardware, depending if your hardware actually has support or not. But if it does, it will have those included, which is awesome. And the same thing goes with the NVIDIA users. You can, you can download those ISOs as well, which is a really, really cool thing that they do because it's a stable-based distribution that also updates the most important pieces for hardware support, which I really appreciate. And also the newest newest version of 20.04 comes with a really interesting tiling system called Popshell. And this is an automatic window tiling system similar to i3, Awesome Window Manager, XMonad, and many, many other things that are like that. So basically when new windows are launched, they're automatically tiled into a grid system which it can be helpful for productivity so you don't have to worry about where the applications are being put they will automatically do it in a position for you and it will be a consistent way of doing it so once you get used to how it works it it will increase your productivity a lot and I've actually used tiling for a long time I used to use it with tiling window managers but I also have like a manual tiling system for uh, plasma that I use and I think that It'd be much nicer if it was an automatic tiling thing. But I do like the functions of having the ability to do like a manual tiling too. So and it depends on your perspective and your preference. But overall, I think that the tiling system is really cool that they're adding it. And it, while I'm not a fan of GNOME, it, this does make me more interested in trying out Pop! OS because I do want to see how the tiling system works with the GNOME environment. And I have tried the previous GitHub version where you could install it the beta version of the tiling into an existing Pop!OS, but this is the first version of Pop!OS that has it built in. So if you want to try the, like again, it's beta on this particular release because the new Ubuntu release is not out yet, which will be coming out in a couple days, actually this week. So in the next episode of 101, I will be covering that in more depth. But for now, Pop!OS is doing a beta test if you would like to help participate in that. And in addition to the tiling aspects, they also added a new application switcher and launcher, as well as out of the box Flatpak support for the Pop Shop application store. Now, what's important about that is not only is it cool that they have Flatpak by de- uh, support by default, but they also have the FlatHub repository in by default, which for some reason, some distributions don't do. I don't get it, but they use a universal package format by default, but then don't give you an option to have a package repository to get the packages from. I don't get that at all. If you're a distribution maintainer that uses Flatpak support but doesn't use the FlatHub, fix that because that's kind of silly. So be sure to update your system if you would like it to make it easier to utilize the Flatpak platform in the first place. Just a suggestion, you don't have to take it, but I would appreciate it if you did because I think it would help out a lot of users. And also I hope other distributions would include uh, snaps and um, app images as well. There needs to be some kind of universal store for that case probably, but it's just really nice to see the at the distros, including these different universal formats, because that's the best way to make them universal is by having all the distributions have them by default. And I'm really happy to see that the pop shop is from pop OS is including that from, from now on. And I also like saying the pop shop, because it's just fun to say. But for now, I'm going to finish this topic and move on to the next topic because otherwise I'll just keep saying pop shop for 50 times. I'm next in the show, and the last topic for this week is UMix OS 2004 has been released. And UMix OS 2004 is a really interesting distribution because it's based on Ubuntu 2004, and that hasn't been released yet. We'll get to that in a second. This is an LTS release that will receive updates to April 2025 and it comes with Linux kernel 5.4 just like the Ubuntu 2004 release and as I said the Ubuntu 2004 release is not out yet. It will be coming out on April 23rd and they say the reason they did it is because it's not expected to be very different from the version that is currently available. So you can simply update your system packages when Ubuntu 20.04 is out, and it will be a simple upgrade. And that's probably true. There's probably not that much difference because the Umix OS 20.04 is released on the 18th, and Ubuntu 20.04 will be released on the 23rd. So five-day difference is probably not that much of a difference, Uh, but we don't know until it actually happens. But it's an interesting decision because, one, it's interesting in the sense that they could get it out sooner And also, too, it allows them to avoid the marketing fiasco that is trying to market a release alongside Ubuntu. Because, I mean, Ubuntu's release dates are typically just, like, the entire week usually is just jam-packed with Ubuntu news. So it's pretty interesting that they decided to do this uh, overall. And also, if you're not aware, Umix OS is based on Ubuntu, but also another really cool thing about it is that it's using Unity as a desktop environment. So the Unity desktop environment was created by Canonical and Ubuntu back in 2011, technically 2010, but the first release of that on the desktop used it was 20, was 11.04. And uh, this is a really interesting decision because I think Unity is a really good desktop environment. They're using Unity 7, which was the last version that was released with the 17, no, 16.10 version of Ubuntu. I think they use. I don't know which, which version of Unity 7 they're using or if they're maintaining Unity 7 by themselves, uh, but uh, Tony George is, make, is, or TG Tech, uh, Tony George, is maintaining this uh, operating system for UMix OS, and that's a pretty interesting thing if they are maintaining Unity 7 as well, but I'm not sure. Uh, but overall, I think Unity is a fantastic desktop environment. There's a lot of reasons I think that, so I won't go into a big spiel about it on this particular episode of the show if you're interested in learning more about why i like unity and why i think it's one of the best desktop environments we've ever had then you probably uh, might i mean it's probably a lot of people don't agree with that uh, there's a lot of people who don't like unity for a variety of reasons sometimes people don't like unity because it was made by canonical which i think that's a silly reason but anyway if you want to know more about unity and why i think it's one of the better desktop environments we've ever had then uh, let me know in the comments below and i will make a video about that uh, because i think unity is quite good and there are a ton of reasons i wish it still existed and maybe there could be a resurgence of it who knows i don't know whatever anyway the rest of the stuff about Umix OS is also pretty interesting because they have switched their default file manager from Nautilus to Kaha, which is the MATE file manager, and their reasoning for doing this was also pretty interesting and a little bit savage in the way they describe it, because uh, Nautilus is, they say that Nautilus has been losing features with every new release, the UI has become more and more minimalistic, down to a point where it's barely usable. They also say that GNOME side client-side decorations, or CSDs, are more suitable for tablets and touchscreens than they are for desktops. Uh, I actually agree with that. I don't like the CSDs at all, uh, but that's a different topic. Again, another video. Let me know in the comments below. UMix OS 2004 also includes some new uh, nice wallpapers from the Unsplash website and they also have an update to their Umix welcome tool. It has a sidebar now for easier navigation, including a new page where they have made it easier to install common software. They also have uh, added a drop-down terminal window which allows you to hit F1 on your keyboard to drop down a terminal so you can make uh, changes and whatever commands you want to run without having to open up a terminal application to do it. And it's just really nice convenience. I use a drop-down terminal myself, and I think it's a fantastic time saver because it's not there when you don't need it, but easily accessible when you do with just a quick shortcut. And they use F1, but you could change it to whatever you want. You can remap it to anything you want to. And also another really cool thing about their terminal is that if you want to if you don't want to use Bash, you can switch to ZSH or Fish directly within the terminal itself, which is a pretty cool thing, I think. Uh, they also have added a debug mode for the boots, ISO boot menu so that you can have like uh, boot messages displayed when your live system boots up for like troubleshooting and that kind of thing. So that's pretty cool. If you'd like to learn more about this one, uh, Umix OS has both a Unity 7 and a Mate-based version if you want to try out the Mate version. Uh, But I think this is a pretty cool distribution. Now, it is worth noting that it's not a free distribution. If you want to get it, you have to pay a $15 subscription fee. And I'm kind of confused about the way they describe it because the way they describe it implies that they say subscription with a lifetime validity includes future releases for $15. The part that confuses me about that is that a subscription means that you're going to be paying something on a more more frequent basis, not just a one-time fee. But this says that you're going to get lifetime support or lifetime validity and also all future releases. So I'm confused by what that means. Maybe they could be more descriptive descriptive in their an update or something like that in a blog post. I don't know if you're watching this show. Uh, I think it's really cool that you're making this distribution. But please clarify that particular piece because it's a little bit confusing, uh, but it is still a reasonable price. Fifteen dollars for a distribution is not that much. And I know a lot of people are going to be annoyed by the fact that they're charging anything. But in order to justify creating the distribution and maintaining it and stuff, I think there is a reasonable argument to say that some kind of money is a, a you know, also it's a very small amount, $15. It's, uh, you know, it's reasonable to have that as a, as a structure. Uh, it's kind of like a, a really big debate in terms of should a distribution have like a model where you can download for free and then also get a premium one or have a premium distribution model in the first place. I don't know. That's for a whole other video, maybe for like a group discussion on, with the community or something like that. But uh, maybe we could do that in the future. Like one of the live streams, we could just have a conversation about that topic. I don't know. Let me know what you think in the comments below about all the different things that I just mentioned in this topic. And uh, yeah, I'll have a link to the blog post for the latest release of UMix OS 2004 in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You learn more by going to tuxdigital.com/contribute, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere T-shirt by going to tuxdigital. nope, that's different now. DestinationLinux.Network/store. Again, you can go to destinationlinux.network/store to purchase the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. This is a shirt I made to uh, celebrate the proliferation of Linux. It has Tux blended into the background to convey the message that whether whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. And also, there's other ways you contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to TuxDigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And be sure to check out episode 168. That's the one we talked about where the Earn It Act is there. We have a big discussion about that. Now, it's a really fun discussion, and it's also very informative, so be sure to check that out. Also, episode 169 with Dustin from Ubuntu Budgie was a really great episode, so be sure to check that one out. And the next episode coming out this week is with Emma Marshall, episode 170, with Emma Marshall from System76, so be sure to check that one out too. And this is something I haven't said in a very long time, so I'm happy to say it. The This Week in Linux show is live every Saturday, except for today, because this is not Saturday. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. And thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.